Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Ruck, our weekly podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. Today we have a stellar cast of internationals with us and one or two things to talk about from a dramatic weekend. Was it a try or not? Why didn't England take the points in the second half? What does a win over Australia mean for Wales? Can Ireland beat the All Blacks? All those questions and more to be answered by Paul Grayson. Hello, Paul. Alex, hi. By Stuart Barnes. Alex, hi. And on his Ruck debut by Dan Lyle, the former Bath and USA number 8, who's now at the vanguard of rugby broadcasting in America. Does that sound fair enough? Mm, too well. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. England 15, New Zealand 16. One or two talking points, Stuart? Yeah, what goes around comes around, doesn't it? Um, I think England were incredibly lucky against South Africa not to be penalised and give Pollard a chance to win the game. When I was commentating there, as you watched it live, it was very hard to see a clear and obvious penalty against Courtney Laws for offside. Uh, The officials have been told it has to be clear and obvious before they come in. Therefore, even when we go to the detail, was it offside or not, one has to say that it looks like the laws have been interpreted very loosely by Marius Jonker and that deprived Sam Underhill, who was oh best Bath back row forward I've seen since Dan Lyle, sidestepping left and right to bamboozle Bowden Barrett. It would have been a dream finish for him. He had a great game. It was tough on England, but you know, they lost the game. But uh, they won a lot of self-respect and I think they're back on track now. Paul, last week a lot was made about the Owen Farrell tackle at the end of the South Africa game. But I think everyone understood that the box had enough chances to win that match. It didn't come down to that one decision. How do you see the game unfolding for England? Because that was a key decision at the end, but they did have chances to win? Yeah, they, they did. And actually the, the two penalties, as Barnsley said, they were, they were lucky to get away with a win against South Africa. But the fact that they did get away with that win bought them the breathing space of a of a clean record so you weren't looking back and counting up the amount of tests that England have lost and you know the, the third test in South Africa South Africa changed their team and it, you, you we weren't no one was talking about that they were just England had a free hit against the All Blacks which P- pressure off, takes pressure it? off yeah. completely so so having won that game on a chancy call to, to end up losing the next one I think England's performance was aided by the fact that they, they dodged a bullet against South Africa in terms of the back end of the game and, and how tight it was. Um, I was sat next to Matt Dawson in commentary on the game and he was unequivocal when that went once England had gone for the corner and then got another penalty. He was unequivocal because, and he was absolutely right, five points in the rain 
even though you're playing against the best attacking team in the world, five mm. points in a rain is they've got to score a try. There's no there's no easy out. There is no drop goal to win it. Once they've made that choice uh, and not converted, then you're at the mercy of the gods, aren't you? Dan, the um, let's just let's deal with the, the Courtney Laws thing, uh, the offside decision first, and then I think it would be really good to, to look into England's performance in a bit more depth. Even now, we're talking Monday lunchtime, everyone is still debating whether or not it was offside. Does that show that A, the TMO was, was wrong to overturn the decision because there's nothing clear and obvious? And I will just add that I also think the TMO breached the, the new protocol because he, he wasn't permitted to make that decision. It had to come from the referee. What's your view on the whole debate and whether or not it, it was offside or not, whether or not there was enough to overturn the call? You take a step back and realise that the ruck is the indistinguishable mark that makes rugby rugby. Otherwise, you'd be playing American football or rugby mm. league, right? The whistle you know, is open to that. I think that the referees are in a constant flow of what their directives are, what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do. And I think that oftentimes a TMO and a referee and a... And, and a and an assistant referee or kind of have each other's backs, you know, or kind of and, and the communication system sometimes works against them, you know, where, hey, well, just check this or just think about this or, hey, you know, there might have been something there, right? And I think that that takes away. And so some sort of a directive of, of, of a protocol of how and when, but I take Stuart's um, point probably the, the it, it, no, I hate to say this at the highest mark here, where in a sense that uh, there was probably enough reason to give it and enough reason not to give it. That means it's probably in, in American baseball is the the uh, the, uh, the the runner gets the uh, you know the tie right mm. versus so yeah. I would kind of let the the advantage of, of of that play play itself out. And if you have to call yourself back and say I'm not a thousand percent sure, you know, then uh, you know it's like give me a reason not to award the try. Yeah, you know cr- I mean? cricket have the umpire's call, yeah. so it goes to the the third umpire, and if. The TV footage isn't conclusive. It goes back to the on-field decision. Dan talked about it. I, I really interesting officials looking after each other's back, and and you know referee makes a call and his mate buys him time. Now that takes you all the way back to that third test with the Lions when Romain Poit made the absolute right call. Ken Owens was undoubtedly in a deliberately offside position. He knew it. He dropped the ball like a kid who'd been caught with sweets. He gave a penalty. And I think it was Saturday's referee, his mate, Jerome Garces, who said you need to see whether Kieran Reid uh, has... Uh, there has been interference in the air. And that enabled him to just to pause. His instinct was absolutely right, but this is the biggest call of his career. And he paused and he wondered and ended up coming up with the wrong decision. And it was the wrong decision for all the right reasons. Garces wanted to help his mate have the time to make it right having said that paul's got a, paul's got the best point of uh here and so forth i, can, I hate saying it between two tens you know i mean so, you know, <laughs> yeah. we decide who wins games in the forwards but um at the end of the day how you determine a win and a loss comes down to multiple moments right. multiple moments throughout the game and and the you know Taking the points, you know, uh, versus you know coming to that moment would have you know probably I, I I think of the point of saying three points in the wet is better than five points that it's mm. a 50 percent. So, yeah. you know, I, I think that there's multiple moments, and uh, so the the tackle with Farrell and the offsides by laws, whether that's the rugby gods or the yin and the yang of the things, mm. you, you're looking at the overall picture. And and because this was a quote friendly, even though it was four years <laughs> in the making, yeah. you know. Um, 
England would have said to themselves, we are extremely satisfied, ext- beyond satisfied, that we were able to go 15 points mm. up and have a game that uh, we can play off of, you know, uh, uh, just under a year out from the World Cup. Mm. And, I, and the, only, the, the only downside of it for mm. me is that um, Sam Underhill's try won't be constantly replayed as the yeah. try that forget about the forget mm-hmm. the result it's it's a non-try because it's after because they've wound time back and said that's that no longer exists one of the best bit of instinctive footwork and worst bit Barrett's so good he's, he's like I'm so I'm so fast I can turn my back and I'll still catch you up Undil did him so well that he, he managed to score from that far out so the only downside to it I, I 100% accept the result that, that New Zealand should have uh, won the game and did the right did enough to win the game the only disappointment is that that try does mm. no longer exist because mm. it was a magical moment and he, he was picked and he largely is a, largely seen as a defensive open side flanker his role for England up until that game had been to put in big tackles he was he's a different was seen as a different style of open side slightly to to Tom Curry who who was had a reputation as more of a link man a bit more attacking he completely changed that perception on Saturday. But they're they're two babies, mm. you know. They're, what are they? Tw- Twenty-one. The pigeonhole a twenty-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old is that's what he's good at when they're at the start of their rugby journeys. They're good enough to play international rugby because they've got a point of difference. So Underhills is that he chops down trees like nobody else we've mm. got, as a, and he was doing it when he was eighteen. And you think he will fall apart, but he's not. His technique is so good. Now. Can he graft on a running game onto it? Well, there you go. He just did it mm. against the best team in the world. Well, well, you know, he's got Richard Hill as a mentor. And when he was sort of, I said in the paper today, lumbering towards the line, Hilly used to do that. He lumbered and you didn't think he's quick, but he covered ground. And Underhill did that. And I thought it was very significant long term for England because there was a question. He he did look like a, a very mechanical player. He, you look at his body for a... a once I've, I've seen him playing pro pro 12 rugby for a long time you just think god you're very big for someone that age you've just been turned into a, a chop monster and what he did Saturday it wasn't just the fact that he, he made so many tackles the quality of them was exceptional mm. and I'm sure Dan will pick up you, you, the, the tyranny of stats it tells you you know which back row forwards and it's often back row forwards have made the tackles but you can make a lot of tackles that have very little impact if you tackle like he did, making 24 tackles with that impact, driving the man back, Dan talked about winning games, lots of myriad bits and pieces. That is one of the key ones, Dan, surely. He's a six and a seven now. Ah. You know, and I think that that's what Richard Hill was. And, mm. and I, I take the balance of a back row or the balance of the back five mm. to be one of the most important parts of the game. When we talk about New Zealand and uh, Ireland later, is the back five of Ireland solidified you know, in the scrum? to be able to play kind of that link game that they want to play. But to the point of, of Underhill and Curry, you know, it's very, very hard to teach graft, breakdown work, great tackle technique. Mm. You know, it, um, yes, ball in hand is a special skill as well, as you're saying, Paul. But, man, you know, I, I want a balanced back row that can, that can take me forward. England's biggest weakness was the breakdown. You know, coming into the all of last year, all the Six Nations it has been for years. Dan. Exactly. For so years. the breakdown and to see a, a guy like that, Curry and him being balanced through. Would you rather have them on the field than two runs by uh, Nathan Hughes? Mm. You know, and one big mm. tackle, probably on the balance of it. Not to d- diminish Nathan Hughes, but you know, the, the 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 you've got to be a multiple trick pony. 
you know, in, in this game to, uh, to balance yourself out. And then the constant selection from here on out to give them that many more moments is ultimately where this will, England's balance will for me in the long term. Uh, what about the All Blacks, Stuart? I mean, they, they were 15-0 down. Um, didn't, England didn't score a point um, in, in the last, what, 40, 50 minutes, 60 minutes of the game? There's, there's two New Zealands. There's the all-singing, all-dancing one when they're on top and they win the game line and they beat you by 50 points because they have uh, a back three that, that are quite wonderful and they've got Bowden Barrett and Aaron Smith who when they're on the front foot, they change the pace of the game uh, with their vision and you can't handle them. Then there's the other one and they're vulnerable. Um, South Africa showed it, especially in Pretoria, uh, because they have so much pace and so much vision, they do sacrifice size to a certain extent. And you could take them in the collision. And, and, you know, England for 25 minutes won every collision. A little bit like 2014. They did the same when Marlon Yard ran over Richie McCaw. England had them on the ropes then. But the other New Zealand is the one that when they're 15 nil down or they're 32-14, whatever it was in, in Pretoria... Like no other team, they say, how do we fix it? And I watched Brodie Retallick, who I regard as the most complete rugby player on the mm-hmm. planet, just shift. And there's talk about, oh, were they illegal? Did they step in? Did they do this? It doesn't matter because the referee didn't ping them. He got himself in a position to absolutely destroy the link between the Saracens, Jamie George and Maro Atoje. And everyone's saying, why did they go George Atoje? i tell you why. Because it was biblical the way the rain came down. And you got two guys... Champion t- champion team, hooker and second row, who know each other. They think, let's go for the safe ball. We can drive that. Retallick said, I'm not doing that. He pulled the, the rug out from the beneath the feet. And when the weather is like that, if you don't get good, solid set-piece set ball, you're in trouble. The scrum was under pressure. They got to the line out. The game turned. That New Zealand, who, who when they're under pressure and they get, they get their strategies right to get themselves back into the game. Um, I read Ben Kay's... Uh, line out synopsis this mm. morning and he and, and Ben's a little did bit you, like did well, you understand it not really it's, just, <laughs> it's, t- it's tall men trying to catch a ball mm, yeah. um, and he was saying that there's bad calls by the ref and Retallick jumps across the line out blah 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 well if you run through that second half go to every offensive breakdown the All Blacks had there's an England player cleared way beyond the rook on his back with, a, with an All Black on top of him every time England carry the ball and get a latch on there's an All Black tackles the latcher, doesn't tackle the ball carry and wipes mm. him out and you start to lose your momentum and they suddenly gear up in those on the fringes of legality which get them an advantage eventually Gar says penalised I can't remember who it was clearing just ridiculously beyond, beyond yeah. the rut he was Probably, Barrett on Ashton I think maybe and that's so the, the fly half gets it wrong the big mm. men get it right all the yeah. time and they just managed to change the dynamic they also played five minutes of no perfect rugby mm. in the absolute chucking down rain, error free to force themselves up the field and put themselves in a position to um, to get a foothold back into the game. So with the brilliance, there's also that just those shady areas that they're really good at. I, I think there's two great equalizers in Test football. One is weather. Two is kind of injuries and selection. And it seems to me that you know I'll harp on on a nine and a ten being selected all the time and you create some consistency with the spine of your team and so forth so it's funny as 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 comprehensive as New Zealand are at times they're they're 
they, they change their team, you know, in different times and so forth, and, and who's better at what position. And then you add the weather, which can, can put any front foot team on the back foot mm. in an instant. You know, there was those times. They're such a magnificent and wonderful team that they're usually able to overcome all of those things. And, and that slight little chink in their armor, which I agree with Stuart on, is that, you know, they have that, that size quotient that they're, 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 they may, uh, you know, they're going up against some teams that are as physical, um, but, uh, and now with England at the breakdown, and then all of a sudden they maybe be an inch taller, two inches taller, a stone mm-hmm. heavier, yeah. and, you know, all of a sudden that over the course of 80 minutes under those conditions can really take its toll. But is it a concern for England that twice in South Africa and then on Saturday they roared into a big lead and ultimately lost the game? I went to Johannesburg for the, for the first test, I was talking to one of the, Craig Ray, I think it was, 20 minutes into the game, England, uh, all guns blazing, and he just looked at me and went, altitude. And then you watched England wither mm. on the vine. They just ran out of gas, and South Africa played their way back into the game, and then they made the mistake of going back to Durban and coming back. So it showed to me that actually England could pick them apart with the team that they that they chose, and they ran out of gas. If, you, if you're going to win a game against New Zealand, you, we all call for them to get out of the blocks and put them under scoreboard pressure. Which they did. I thought the the first try, England's first try, was fantastic because it was, um, it wasn't just one out runners. There's a little pop ball from Sinclair, who did that two or three times. I mm-hmm. thought I, I thought he had one of his best games for England, um, and they'd clearly got a plan because when they when decoys swept back left and took Damian McKenzie out of position, the mm-hmm. ball went over to Ashton. That's just well crafted, yeah. good analysis, and and you know perfect performance. England had chances to win the game. You're not going to. We're not going to beat New Zealand by 30 points um, very often. You're going to beat them by one or two. You go to the end of the game. You kick your goal. You, the game pans out as it is. I know you can't predict that, but England had chances to win it. It was the decision making towards the end that cost them that opportunity. I, I thought one thing that was very interesting. Um, Dylan Hartley came out at 40 minutes, mm. and this is a team that that you look at in face value, and, and you guys uh, here on my right and left one know more, that, that somehow has got to build an overall team leadership dynamic. Mm. And so it takes nothing away from Jamie George coming in as hooker. It just is a matter of fact of, of how are we controlling this game, when it gets a little bit loose, when we're able to pull it in, who's having the words on the field, who's you know doing the right thing. There's a little bit of that dynamic, you know, that – you know, which allows you as a team to come out, having not played them and so forth, and live on that adrenaline high, you know, and play them and so forth. But when the game starts to open up and, and issues have to have, they have somebody, two or three people have to step into that, that gap. And that, that leadership dynamic, it was tactical, right? The change at half-time? Or was Hartley... He said afterwards there was a thumb, no, yeah, yeah, thumb injury. As broadcasters, you know, we go down to our man on the touchline and yeah. we said we need to know... What's the situation? And it was unequivocal. Tactical substitution. Mm. And I reckon Eddie saw what happened and the way the line-out went to pieces. The decision-maker didn't cut quite right. And he thought, maybe my plan to put Jamie on and give him 40 minutes against the All Blacks backfired and I'll find a thumb injury. It was a dubious well, explanation. I, 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 don't yeah. want to, I don't want to put Jamie George under pressure. He's a wonderful player. No, no, no. I don't ability. think any of us But I, I, I'm just thinking that the overall... Le- I use that as this example that you're saying, Paul, which is the overall leadership dynamic needs to improve, you know, as, as much as they need to improve in some of these tactical areas that we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. And they're things you want to find out now, not, yeah. not um, when you're in Japan. And there's, there's suddenly an enormous amount with the co-captaincy. Once you take off one of the co-captains, mm. 
who's your next in command and what's their relationship like with Owen Farrell because he's then he's almost he's then having discussions with himself about kicking goals of course you've got your lieutenants but but more clarity in that perhaps is somewhere England can find an improvement on and the one thing I wanted to ask you Barnsley actually was in that last period of the game when George Ford comes on and Farrell goes to 12 as much as he's the captain and still the kind of the 10 ta- how, know, how, how hard is it to influence the game when you're just that little bit further away? Well, clearly it is harder, but at that moment, I, I still think Owen Farrell's greatest leadership assets are the sort of um, Henry the Fourth, Part One, Hotspur taking on, you know, Prince Hal. It's the Northern Warrior. It's follow me, guys. He's a, he's a leader, and I think that decision making wise, you know, I'd, I'd take. George Ford over him most of the time I think he's a little bit cooler and I think when that happens you need your kicker to do this but this takes us back this debate about the the final kick of decision making it takes us all the way back to the Chris Robshaw period of captaincy and if you remember Owen Farrell was one of the lieutenants going up to Robshaw and the two of them were discussing things and, and the only thing they did consistently in that period leading up to the World Cup and then against Wales was get the call wrong. So it's a it's a real problem for England, but it's not just England, it's a global thing. I mean, mm-hmm. let's just let's just move two hours down the M4. Australia have blown a tight game. All the boys have said you get bad game, bad weather, you get matches where there aren't gonna be tries. You feel that on the pitch, don't you? You know if there are no tries. And if it's going to be low scoring, you take the three. You don't take the 50-55, as Dan said. But the Aussies, they came out and they got it wrong just as badly as England. It is a a global epidemic, I think, of bad decision-making. And interestingly, in the England game, there's two two open play drop goals. I think Bowden had the... um, the arm out for the penalty. It was a penalty advantage when he mm. he kicked his. The but first of his career. Yeah, they, 71 games in. Um, but there was clearly a mindset that three points are very valuable. And then when you get it from a static position, and I, 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 you've got to back the players. They decide that they feel they've got the edge in, in mm. the mall, then fair enough, have a go. But when the first one doesn't work and you, you've had, it's almost like referring to the TMO, you've had one look at what could possibly happen. Yeah. Now, if we drop it, our chance is gone. Do you want to take a three? Because you've got another shot from a better place and you still turn it down, then you're in that mm. position of, in match review, as long as it's highlighted as a, in a game like that, would you do the same thing in the same situation? Probably not. No problem. Move on. Well, what was the dynamic what, the few games ago when New Zealand had 19 opportunities and to kick a drop goal and they did yeah, yeah, and they did right? yeah. you know that that that's a that that is kind of a weird social consciousness the issue where they're 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 you're literally not going to kick this you <laughs> yeah, know you're, it's, you're, a cultural, you're, it's a cultural well, thing in New Zealand well, well, I, I, that's what I mean that yeah. go there and so forth and by the way Barnsley wouldn't even know who the outside center the first center is you know outside of him he's, he knows his right foot and his left foot by name but probably not the center outside well, of him I, I did I didn't even know I had a left like, foot like, who's that <laughs> who's that guy who's that guy out there oh look there's a whole bunch of them outside me well, what <laughs> the hell is a left foot Grace do you know no it's you for standing on. <laughs> the All Blacks are now in, in Dublin England are preparing to play Japan Steve Hansen was saying well, world number one be world number two a year out from the World Cup it, it couldn't get more more tasty who's going to win? The problem is when New Zealand play you feel foolish if you tip the other team because mm. they've got a 90% win record so you know nine times out of ten they're going to win so it's very you know, it's madness almost to say anyone but New Zealand what I will say is 
there's a vulnerability at the moment, I think. Three of their last five games, the two Springbok matches and England, teams that have been physical against them have got into them. And over the years, I've seen New Zealand, as we get towards the, 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 the Northern Hemisphere winter and the tail end of their season, because I think of the, of the size issue, the, the, the fact that they take a battering, they get slowed down by conditions. I think this is when they're most vulnerable. And Ireland weren't great against Argentina, but I know Joe Smith pretty well. And they would have thought we could beat Argentina without giving anything away at all. Mm. And I, I, I think it's going to be... I thought it would be three points New Zealand at Twickenham. And if, if you think England are going to get within three points at Twickenham, then logic says you think Ireland, who are a better team than England at the moment are going to beat them. So I, I'm, going to, I'm going to go for Ireland in a really tight finish. When you look at these two sides, they, they have the three ingredients of being number one and number two in the world. They have the consistency of selection. They've, they've had pretty good team. They, you know, they know who their teams are by and large. We talked a little bit about where Ireland's back five and maybe the mm. midfield of, you know, of, uh, uh, and some of, the, some of those positions in New Zealand is and so forth. They have a culture that they've built both obviously we know it's legendary in New Zealand and I think that they've built a solid uh, uh, um, culture in Ireland and I think it's the X's and O's of the game that you know, Joe Schmidt and uh, and Hanson and Smith are just dynamic you know and I, I can't wait to see that as you said Stuart you know the tactical approach that both of these teams take you know we, we take it for granted sometimes that it's a, it's a game plan that you come in with and you know and so the punch and the counter punch that goes on you know not just from the set piece and and the set piece for New Zealand is beyond just the scrums and the lineouts and the kickoffs it's they train the counterattack as a set piece nowadays mm. right and, mm. and Ireland have kind of have that because of their ga backgrounds and the Gaelic side of things of that whole kind of dynamic so it'll be a wonderful wonderful spectacle and I think that you know the, the the feeling of each other out. You know, knowing that this might be a semifinal, you know, next year. You know, in in Japan yeah. is, is going to be remarkable. And, and to, to the neutral like myself, can't wait to see it. What was was the last time Ireland played? Oh no, the last time was when New Zealand beat them up after Chicago. But the time before, that was the Aaron Cruden uh, re-kick, wasn't it? At yeah. the very end. Yeah. So you know, tight there. I was going to ask about that last meeting because they, yeah, that that one in twenty thirteen. New Zealand won it after the bell with yeah. that with that try. Then Ireland won in in Chicago, and then you talk about the physicality side of it. They they came to the Aviva and were right on the very edge of of the law and sometimes over it. Well, I, yeah, I touched on it before. Their their response to that defeat in Chicago was absolutely to be on yeah. the edge of legality, and they were over it. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, Ireland should have won. It should have been a penalty try from the scrimmage, yeah. and the All Blacks should have had a man in the symbol and that would have been enough so I, they almost beat them back to back and mm. were it was that it's guile of sorts isn't it but it, yeah, it, it was but a it should have won should have won should have won three in a row yeah. and, and uh, you know so if you if you take the pundit you go down the high street away there mm. based upon form fitness you know outside of the you know the history of legacy of 90% you, you know Ireland is probably the uh He's probably the favourite at home, which is, you know, it's almost sacrosanct to say that. And weather for long-term weather forecasts, because we know what an effect it had on, on the weekend yeah. for England, is 12 degrees, sunny, a little bit of cloud. So it's it's going to be, an, it would be nice for it to be an absolute test of, mm. you know, because when it rains as hard as it did the weekend, the game is a certain type of game. Having the opportunity to have 
everything available to you will be mm. will be fascinating to watch. I mean, I, I'd love to see. Mackenzie is a, a magician. I love the fact that New Zealand, they pick a guy to play fullback that a lot of premiership clubs wouldn't offer a contract because they just say, you're all skin and bones, you're too small. And in many ways, he was their match winner. But it's it's like Hansen says, I'm going to have a, a short ass at fullback. Are you going to go away from the box kick where your defensive pattern comes up in a line and there's not much for us to do? Are you going to go after our fullback and if your kicking is not right, we can hit you left or right? And kicking for Ireland against him will be Sexton. And you know that if Ireland are going to win it, Johnny Sexton is not just the lieutenant, he's the guy with one of the great tactical kicking boots in world rugby. So this this whole tactical appreciation, what's going to happen there, I find fascinating. I, I find the, the the back line of Ireland of these six foot two to six foot four from Sexton to Henshaw comes back in potentially yeah. Ringrose Stockdale Earls. You know, obviously the little man Carney McKenzie versus Kearney is it'd be an interesting battle. You know, in yeah. regards who's going to win the high ball there. <laughs> but uh, there's just I mean, just but their skill work you know is is unbelievable. So that that. That in itself is a uh, is a dynamic because it's almost like two sets of forward packs, you know, when that when it's uh, when it's phase play, mm. and they're 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 offloading, they're finding finding ways through one off tackles or two off tackles, and they're really able to keep the ball, you know, so much more alive than most teams. So that's a that's a really interesting dynamic as a, as a forward. I'm saying I'm more interested in the backs battle, you know, a little a lot of ways. I know. As a, in, in I'm so game. proud of you, Dad. <laughs> he's a back row forward, though. He's I not know. a complete forward. Yeah, right. This is the back row forward who would occasionally just American football pass yeah, the he, rugby he, ball he, halfway he, across the field. So yeah. it's it's in him. I never yeah. met a back line I didn't like. I, d- I didn't say I never met a back I liked, but a <laughs> um, what was interesting as well, there, Paul said about 12 degrees, bit of cloud, good weather. Got to remember at Twickenham, New Zealand are an offload team, and. The, off, the art of the offload is being right in the face of the defender but still having the skill to execute it so the defence have got absolutely no time at all to readjust. And there's no doubt the the weather really hampered New Zealand. And if they get that weather against Ireland, that will improve their game. And then you'll be looking at, can Ireland, with the way the game is being refereed and the high tackle status, can they get their choke tackle going in? Ireland love the double t- tackle. Mm. They will try that against New Zealand, but are people like James Ryan going to get away with it? There are so many things about this game. This could be the game of the year. The, the, the one thing that happened in Chicago is, and, and you guys hit it on it earlier about with New Zealand and England, is that the kicking game by Ireland was superb. They turned New Zealand, mm. and their kick chase was brilliant. And that's the point of, of the front foot versus back foot, you know, possession versus good possession, all of those type of things that we talk about in general. They had a masterful class that day, even to the points like guys like Zebo and others were yeah. just on the tackle or claiming balls and things like that. So I think that that's, a, that, that's always a factor in these two games. And, and you know, it's, it'll be a, that, that ping pong battle or that aerial battle will be one to watch as well. This is The Ruck and we'll be back after this. Welcome back to The Ruck, and joining us on the line is Sarah Hunter, the captain of the England women's team, victorious England women's team, who launched their autumn campaign on Friday night with a 57-5 victory over the United States. Hello, Sarah. 
How are you doing? We felt recovered from from Friday night and the wet and the wind and the cold. Yeah, <laughs> you you had miserable conditions just as the as the men's team did the following day. Talk us through the game. It was a pretty comprehensive nine try victory over the United States. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it was ideal conditions for for any rugby game, but if you're a forward, it's not too bad. Um, if you're back, they might think otherwise. But but yeah, um, I don't I don't think the scoreline reflects the the nature of the physicality of the game um, itself. Uh, uh, the USA uh, are a, a new team. They they had a lot of caps last week against New Zealand, so um, similarly to, to us, they had a bit of inexperience to, to start with. And um, uh, USA will always come out and they run hard, tackle hard, and, and they did that from minute one to, to minute minute 80. And unfortunately, things changed a little bit when they had a had a player sent off. Um, but we as a team just tried to keep to, to our game plan in difficult conditions was um, to try and impose ourselves on on the USA and, and still still play rugby, still try and play the, the game that we want and the things that we were trying to look and develop um, through this Autumn International. And obviously there were six new caps uh, getting their debut and then obviously Katie Dale and Keane getting her 100. So the, the spectrum really did differ, but there were some, some really positive things from, from the game and some things that we'll probably have to, to look to, to improve as we go on to Canada um, at the weekend. We have to talk about about Katie. A, a century of caps, a, a starring performance, fifteen points, a runaway try that she scored. J- just just talk about how special a player she is. You know, not many players in English rugby have won hundred caps. No, I absolutely. Yeah, and Katie is one of the the best that that there is around. I think um, to to be a, a great international player, you you've got to stay at the top of your game consistently, and and Katie has done that um, for for 10 years like she well over 10 years like she got her first cap in 2007 so she's been instrumental all the way way through that that sort of reign that she's had and as the years have gone on she's had to adapt and change a game and not only is she a, a great player but she's a great leader she's inspirational to those players around her um and i think it's a great feat that she she went on to be the winning world cup captain in 2014 then took a break to go and play seven so she she had a couple of years out and going off to be an Olympian and, and still come back and, and get 100 caps and, and she deserved every minute of Friday night and the way she played and pulled the strings just showed what a great player she is and I'm sure she's got many more years to, to come as well. We've been talking about co-captaincy and leadership and decision making and, and when we saw there were, there were points in, in the men's game against the All Blacks where in hindsight, they might have made different calls. How does your relationship with, with with Katie work in terms of 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 making those big decisions, those game changing calls in, in the heat of battle, where you have to try and read the situation in the cold light of day while while still quite pumped up and and perhaps kind of allowing the game to go with you? What, what how, how do you converse with her? What what's the, the dynamic like? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a great question, and I think it's something that comes with time. So, Katie and I have played for for a long time. Like when she was captain, I was vice captain, and 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 vice versa. So, I think you start to build a rapport up with with a player, and you get a sense and feel during the game of of knowing like and feel of of when the team's on on top, and when it's the right time to to really try and. Um, Keep the keep the foot on the throat and really go for that that hammer blow and is that kick to the corner and and get a 
get some get some points through ties or is it the moment in the game when actually we, we just need to look and take the points and then obviously it's down to down to knowing like with Katie if if it's that time in the game she'll she'll give me a nod and be like yeah this was in my range like give me a shot at it or actually no we're going to go to go to the corner it obviously depends on how line out is going so you just get you start to build as you develop into sort of these leadership roles you start to start to get a build and feel of what the momentum of the game's like and and what the right call is and and as a captain and hindsight is such a wonderful thing there's been times in in my career I look back and gone oh if only I'd taken the three points or actually like should we have taken the line out and when it comes off it's a brilliant decision when it doesn't you look back and go if only somebody to to the two penalty kicks that obviously Farrell went to the corner with um so yeah it's but the, the, those relationships so I, I guess as as the co-captaincy between Farrell and Hartley um develops um I know Hartley wasn't on the field but they'll start to get that instinct with with one another. Sarah, this week you're playing Canada. Uh, when you met them last year, you beat them 79-5. Can we expect more of the same? Again, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unknown. There's one thing for sure that they have brought a stronger squad than they did last autumn, um, and they're they're now in the country. So they've got um, rather than stepping off the plane and playing a, a day or two later, they've got um, sort of six days six days preparation to to get over jet lag. Get themselves together and, and and prep for prep for their first game against us. So, um, so yeah, I think it will be. I think it will be another physical challenge. We've got one. Um, Delica men in at the a tight head pot place here at Loughborough Lightning. So uh, we know what's in store to come from from her. And if if the rest of her teammates play the way she's been playing all season, it, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be an almighty battle and. Um, we know that we can't underestimate um, Canada because they've got a very good history and very very good pedigree in in women's rugby and and I think the last year they were bringing new players in to to develop in their next World Cup cycle. So um, so yeah, I think um, I think it could be a, a really exciting game and uh, we can't go into it with um, what happened last year. It's almost a fresh a fresh um, slate quite clean because they they will not want what happened last year to happen again so um so yeah i think we'll we're going to have to improve from our, our game on friday and and take it to to another level and uh improve on on areas um because we know uh, canada will come hard at us great well, listen thank you so much for joining us on the rock sarah good, good luck this week and we look forward to catching up next week sam Warburton, times the sunday times columnist was saying on on Sunday, that, that Wales's win against Australia is in, is very significant for that team. Not because it'll have any necessary bearing on their game at the World Cup, other than the psychology of Wales knowing that, that, that they can win and Australia knowing that they can be beaten. It's been ten years between drinks for for Wales. How do you take that that win? Uh, t- t- ten years and thirteen matches. There's a. a, a, a a few journalist mates of mine who say, well, they've been so close that it's sort of irrelevant. That's not the truth. It's exact opposite. If you keep losing to a team and you lose by two or three points, the psychological concern is all the greater. And it was it was, it was, was a monkey on the Welsh back, though I don't know what a monkey on the back actually looks like, but 
Metaphorically, that had happened to Wales, and I think Sam Warburton. I, mean, I, I think a lot of us felt that going into this game. I've been saying that about Wales Australia. It feels like about five years now because they've been losing so regularly. They're in the same pool, though. Of course, you know, in a World Cup, sometimes it doesn't hurt to lose a game at the pool stage because you never know how it's going to break. But it, it, for Wales, it wasn't just beating Australia; it was also getting one over the Aussie New Zealand axis. They'd beaten South Africa a few times beaten England, beaten France, beaten Ireland, but against those two, they've just been bereft. Year out from the World Cup, though it wasn't a great game, the win is all-consuming and extremely important, and whilst it will not beat Australia in Japan a year from now, it will be in the heads of the Welshmen and will give them a far greater chance of winning, so hugely important. Dan Bigger came on, Grayson, and kicked that winning penalty. It won't be a game that they'll sell many DVDs of, but <laughs> there were... You know they won it in the clutch moments, and bigger has some critics, but he's a big game player, isn't he? I mean, how do you how do you see their fly half situation? It's one of those games, wasn't it, where Lee Halfpenny missed a couple of kicks at yeah. goal. You're like, so he was set up for Dan Bigger at the end to come on and, and deliver that. The, the penalties that Halfpenny missed, you wouldn't, you would, I would have lost a lot of money, yeah. um, and so would a lot of. But everybody's everybody's allowed a day off, but didn't hurt him in the end because they've got a he's a world class competitor, Dan Bigger. He is mm. absolutely, I I get to see him a little bit with some of the stuff I do at Northampton yeah. charming bloke but his work ethic is absolutely up there with the with the best I've seen so Bigger had the Underhill moment mm. you know that didn't happen <laughs> and, and and that is psychologically important for this team but Grace makes a point the Wales have three or four guys that they want to pick a 10 and they got to figure out the one slash one and a half you know that they want to play otherwise it's a it, it's a challenge to say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, we're gonna play all three of you, four of you, Patchwell, Bigger, Priestland. <laughs> you know, it's the look at the teams, Premiership, Pro 14, internationally. If you don't consistently find some some the people that you want to play in your team and allow them to grow in confidence, gain the couple tools in their belt, play with the players with them, gain some leadership capacity, it's gonna be really hard to win a game. And that's where where Wales, you know, they pip a game, but you know, to be to get out of the quarterfinals. They've got to find somebody and say that's our guy. They'll be looking. They'll be looking. I think for bigger to come through from Northampton. Gareth Anscombe is fantastic. I think coming off the bench when you've got a broken field, he's really good at that. Patchell is an excellent player, but there is doubt in Wales about his mental strength now and again. And bigger to me comes somewhere in between the two of them. And as Paul said, he's very dependable. You know, you think back to the last World Cup, what he did against England. I would be quite surprised that going into the Six Nations, Bigger's not the starting 10 and going through to Japan, I, I would think, Paul. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, he, and, and like I say, he's um, Northampton being where they are, their, get, their game is developing yeah. and his game is, is going to develop within it. Yeah, we, because they're bored, playing, yeah. Yeah, because they're gonna, they are playing a progressive brand of rugby, which is going to take some time to work. That will enhance him all, all the more because it gives him a little bit of a different look to the things that, that he's been used to over the years at the Ospreys and with Wales. Dan, we can't talk about match-winning moments without mentioning Will Hooley, whose late, late penalty goal won the game for the USA against Samar. Whatever the coverage was, uh, the uh, he had literally missed a, a, a chip shot <laughs> with you know just a few minutes beforehand. He'd slipped and fallen over and just pushed one that was 
you know, an absolute sitter and then to hit one from, you know, close to 40, you know, in between your 5 and 15 from the right side. It, uh, yeah, we, we, I think we had had five, tri- five times we played them and all were within a try, you know, in the past. And so uh, it's been a moment of first for the U.S. this year. They're, you know, they're 9-0 in test matches, you know, lost against Maori last uh, week in Chicago, New Zealand Maori, but uh, probably you know, Reg 9, there was eight or nine, ten guys that were missing. So, uh, you know, Gary Gold is is come in. Dave Hodges, uh, formerly of Clinetley yeah. and, and uh, U.S. Uh, is the GM. You know, they've and uh, and uh, that combined with Major League Rugby, um, which has had, had its first year, will be going into a second year from seven teams to nine professional teams in America, has given guys some consistent playing times, the ability to kind of gain some level of fitness, some, gain some level of skill acquisition, play within team environments at, at a couple of notches above where they've played before. And we've got about 24 guys playing um, abroad now. It's kind of the reverse of what Canada was when I was playing mm. and so forth, which uh, kind of is the reverse model. So uh, the U.S. has um, got a real opportunity to play Romania this week in Romania, so uh, which is always a bogey for, for, for us. But I think coming out of that and then playing Ireland, you know, the last game, um, that's without arguably their best nine, uh, who was not there, Sean Davies, who got injured against Maori. AJ McGinty is out injured right now. Uh, Samu Manoa was uh, was out, maybe back this week, um, and a couple of other guys. So, um, you know, depth is a rare commodity in, in all of rugby, let alone for America. And that, that uh, all those things combined, it was a great win. San Sebastian, by all accounts, looked like they hosted a wonderful game. You can't have a bad game. You can, San yeah, Sebastian, can you? Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was thirty twenty nine. That's right. To, to the USA. Yeah. The, so, the, the last kick on the last uh, whistle. Yeah. Which which bizarrely on the TV coverage was only showing seventy five minutes on the on the game clock because that obviously didn't match up with the match clock. So. Anybody who was watching it thought there was five minutes to go, but actually all the players on the ground knew that. Not as many in the people can have the production value of the rock. No, you know, no. <laughs> the podcast, you know, so. Uh, so does Will Hooley get your God of the Week award? We have to go into our regular feature now. Do you have a God or Goddess nomination? Yeah, I mean, I usually talk a little bit too much, but uh, I, I'm super pleased because I haven't mentioned it for Sam Underhill for Bath. Dan Levy came on for Ireland, and I'm looking forward to that and so forth. And, and Strauss. I was up at the Scotland Fiji match. It came on, and you know him to play against South Africa. You know, big, it was is going to be really interesting. But I've got to stick with Will. Will's a wonderful person as well. Uh, he's a great guy off the field, and he's he's doing some his education and doing a lot of things uh, playing for Bedford. So uh, I'm really excited that uh, he was able to do that. Stuart, big as the one that springs to mind, it breaks the Welsh voodoo. But sometimes your gods they don't have to be winners. They don't have to be winners. The great ones have those flaws and England lost the game but I thought Underhill was magnificent Uh, seven has been the hole in England for a long time let's not get carried away too early but there were clear signs that here is a bloke who can stop England patching up the seven position with a bad deal trying to get x6s in seven they could have the genuine real deal he's got to get there very quickly now but he's my god of the week Sam Underhill God of the week was going to be the God of rugby because of the proliferation of 45, 43s. And you start to think, where's the game going? Give me a good old 9-6. Well, Wales gave us a good old 9-6. That's <laughs> one way. But it was, a, it was a test match where, built on their defence, the God of rugby made Will Hooley fall over yeah. with a two-foot tap-in. I, I do some coaching with Will, and that's one of those where you just hang your head because the pitch gave way underneath him, and then he got the opportunity. The script was written for him to kick that goal to to create that. Um, he made a 
He made the weather change in England from a 50% chance of rain to a 100% deluge for the whole game to create an extraordinary afternoon. Um, all of that doesn't win the God of Rugby, God of the Week. Mine is the goddess that is Katie Daly McLean winning a 100th cap mm. in an MVP performance. Anybody who can play Test Rugby for 100 games um, and be part of a trailblazing generation. So she's my goddess of the week. Gents, thank you very much for coming in. We've got another big build-up week before, as Stuart described it, the biggest game of the year, Ireland-New Zealand. And we'll be back this time next week to pick the bones out of that. So thank you all very much. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.